you something about family, something about evangelism, something about God, and uh, that's a blessing. And I say, I don't take that for granted at all. Uh, I love being here. Uh, you guys have loved up on my wife and I in a marvelous way. I've received tons of hugs. I've uh, had people say, I remember you back 20 years ago in Lancaster. Uh, there, there's connections. There's relationships. Uh, just Gio and Karen by themselves would be enough of a relationship, but we, we love Steve and Jackie and the Burns and the Golds, and we can go on and on and on and on. And I want you to have in your hearts the fact that God has given this uh, corner of the world to you. It's a diamond. It's a great place to be. Um, Satan would love to mess it up as best possible, but we're here with a calling. And uh, you have a diamond of, of a fellowship. It's, it's truly a gem from God. And um, I think you're bound to do awesome things. You're just touching the hem of the garment right now. You're just touching it. Greater things are in store for you. And so, uh, yes, we're happy to be here. I hope you had a good Christmas. Did everyone have a good holiday? My wife and I did. It was, it was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Christmas is a special time. I like coming out of it in a strong fashion, and that's what the intent is today to do. But uh, it's a time of family, you know, family blessings. It's good to be together with uh, my kids and my grandchild, as well as other members of the family. Uh, it's great to receive gifts. We did a lot of that. Uh, I think our culture is very tolerant of Christmas, mainly because they sell a lot of items during it this time. But they're tolerant for other reasons as well. I think that um, our society would like to keep Jesus in a manger. It's a good place for him to be as far as they're concerned. And so I'm here to talk about the manger and the myth that our culture has about it and tell you more about the man Jesus and have us walk out of here with some concrete things in our hearts to deal with when we come to Jesus. But Jesus is a baby. It's not a bad thing. And, uh, and to prove a point, or at least to prove the, the fact that our culture is builds that thought up, I have a little video here for us to uh, look at. <laughs> Some of you seen it. Hey Zeus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful Beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR, as we call them. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And It smells terrible, and the dogs are always bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Your tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky. Okay. Dear eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus, 
don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also, due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace, I just want to say that Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 It's kind of sad that, that uh, Will Ferrell represents our culture in such a good fashion. But Erlen and I do love babies. You know, we, um, we adopt babies in our congregation. Uh, our home base is the San Fernando Valley. We you know, had the pleasure of serving as elder and elder's wife in, in the North region. And uh, anyone who walks around with a baby knows that we zero in. Our radars are up, and we zero in on them, and we, uh, we try to make them laugh. And Gucci Gucci Goo, and we talk about things in baby talk. And so, um, you know that we're, we're just grandparents, is what we are, and we can't help it. And if we hang around you long enough, your kids are in danger of being taken by us and all sorts of things. But, just kind of carry this on a little bit further, I, I have here a selection of baby pictures. I, I even went into history and wanted to look at some old baby pictures. You know, isn't that a little chunker there? You know, this picture here is nearly 120 years old. I know, that's a long time. But, you know, what would you do with a little thing like that? Would you tickle him? Would you hold him and make him laugh? Uh, would he slobber all over you? What, what would happen? Here's another picture. This is even older. And it doesn't even look like a picture. It looks like a drawing, but it's an actual picture, you know, uh, when cameras weren't so good. But, you know, cute as could be. Here's a family portrait, another 100-year-old-plus picture here, 1880. Um, cute little thing right there. Look at that. I love babies. My wife and I, we love babies. And our culture kind of loves babies. That's my favorite. I'll tell you why later. But, bottom line, our culture looks to this and looked at it a month ago, or in December, let's say, and uh, at least let it happen. In some cases, we're starting to get some you know, fighting over major scenes nowadays in our culture. But up until recently, this was acceptable. Baby Jesus. I want my baby Jesus. Babies are non-threatening. They're cute. Even Christians kind of put them in the manger. You know, they sing songs like, Away in the manger, no crib for a bed, and, you know, little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. We, we reinforce those cultural things. And I want to say here, you know, I want to be respectful. You know, whoever drew that picture, um, I didn't look up the artist, but I, I was looking at many, you know, classical pictures of uh, the Renaissance and things like that. And they, they were artists. They were people who, who really were trying to worship God. And I want to I honor that. 
in, in some respects, but at the same time, I'm here to tell you there's a myth to debunk. There's something here that's not realistic. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a manger. Uh, they're stalls. Well, actually, the manger is the trough from which uh, the baby was laid in. It's the feeding trough. But um, if you go to Bethlehem, around the outside edge of the village, even today, there's outcroppings of limestone. There's like rocks, big rocks. And inside of them, there's little grottos and caves. And what they used to do, and they still do, actually, is they built fences around these uh, entrances to these caves. But basically, they they're pens to put animals like sheep and donkey, goats, things like that. And uh, I, I was raised in a rural area. And I'm telling you right now, as much as this looks pretty and idyllic and there's a nice glow around the kid, uh, it's dunk. You know, there's hay on the floor, maybe, but there's also urine and doo-doo. None of these animals are housebroken. And um, it actually, the, the point of the the story is the fact that Jesus didn't have room in a home. They had to kick him out into something really, really bad. You know, it's a stall. It's not pretty. It's not what the Lord of the universe deserves. And so I want, I want to get into that and apply it to us. And the passage I want to start off with is Luke chapter 2. Let's pray before we do. Luke chapter 2. Father, thank you so much for giving us a great time of year. Thank you for January, which is the start of a new year, fresh, reviving time. But at the same time, Lord, we use this time for our families in many good ways, but we we pray right now that as we look at these words, we'll open up our hearts to what you have to say to us. Because, Lord, there was a purpose in your son coming to the earth. And he is not a baby. And we pray that we can understand what it means to really love him. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. This occurred about a month after Jesus was born. So if you really believe that December 25th was his birthday, we're coming into that period of time in which they did what I'm reading about. I don't believe he was born in December. Uh, I think evidence shows that he probably was born in summertime. But it's neither here or there as far as I'm concerned. I'm glad our culture at least recognizes Jesus sometime during the year. Okay, verse 22 says this. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss 
your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What we read here is uh, two things were occurring, purification and redemption. Uh, The laws of purification are in Leviticus 12. You can just write this down, 2 through 8. Mary, when she bore her son, was considered unclean for 40 days. And at the end of that period, she was to be presented to the priest and they would offer a sacrifice for her. And she would be considered, you know, initiated right back into society again. Then they were to do a sacrifice. It should have been a lamb, but if you were poor, a turtle dove or two would do the trick. Um, to redeem the firstborn. Jesus was redeemed. It's kind of ironic that the redeemer of the whole world was redeemed. But basically, it's a statement to the world that God gets the first of everything. Your own child, your own firstborn had to be redeemed because he was God's. And you basically gave God a sacrifice or even some money in order to get him back on loan. But he was always God's. I, I, I was raised in the Orthodox Jewish church, and uh, I was redeemed. I talked to my dad about it. I asked him what was the sacrifice because they no longer kill animals. He says, oh, I had to give the rabbi five silver dollars. So that means that in today's currency, I am worth $127.50. Because of inflation, 50 years later. But needless to say, it's a statement. It's a statement about a baby that is powerful for every family. But Simeon took it a little further. He grabbed the infant and said some things that if you had that said about your firstborn, you'd probably be blown away. Simeon saw things. He saw three things. He saw salvation before he died, which is a good thing to see. Each one of us in this room needs to see God's salvation before we go on to the next life. And you all will. I can tell you that now, and I can tell you this that as a person laying in a hospital bed 30 30 years ago, you don't think, oh, I want to work another hour more in the office when you're given news like that. You say, I want to get to know my God. You say that. And you say it, and with your wife by your side, you say, we got to get to know God. And I don't care about my work, and I don't care about anything else. And I want to be close to my family during this time as well. I had a one-year-old baby. Simeon said, God, you can now let me die. I've seen your salvation. Simeon also said that he saw salvation going out to the Gentiles. That's a big statement for a Jew to make because up until that time, if you wanted to be saved, you needed to be circumcised if you were a guy and you needed to be dunked if you're a guy or a gal. 
You know, Jews were dunking people, Gentiles anyhow, in order to make them Jews. And they had to become Jewish to be saved. Well, Simeon saw this going further. He saw out of that baby, he saw the message was going to be given to Gentiles. Amen. Amen. For most of us, we should really be happy about that. (laughs) And when Simeon uses the word dismiss, it's a Hebrew word. Well, actually, John uh, Luke wrote it in Greek. And there's three definitions to it. It's the same word that you have for releasing a prisoner. Well, that's pretty good. You know, before you see Jesus, you're a prisoner. I can testify to that. I was a prisoner of my selfishness. I was a prisoner of my materialism. You heard a little bit about that already. I was a prisoner of my selfishness all the way. There was nothing good about where I was at in my heart. I looked good on the outside, but I was imprisoned. And when Jesus came into my life, I was freed from that. Free to be a different person. Free to not lie. Free to do things in a different way. The second definition of dismiss is to untie a ship. Ah, I think a lot of us need to really have that in our hearts. That God, when you see Jesus Christ, you are untied to set sail. This congregation is set sail. You know, you're free to... Go where the Holy Spirit blows you. And you can have impact. Other than that, you're tied up to a dog. And finally, it's the same word that is used in the Greek for unyoking a beast of burden. And, of course, our sins burden us. We are so terribly burdened, we don't even realize it. Anyhow, Simeon saw that, and finally he he saw the salvation... Uh, before he died, he saw salvation going out to Gentiles, and he saw the effect that this child would have on the world. He said, this baby is going to cause the rise or fall of many people. What a statement to give to parents. Your child's going to cause the rise or fall. Now, that can happen on a physical level, or it could happen on a spiritual level. Obviously, the greatest level it could occur is in the salvation of souls. You either go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. And that's what happens with Jesus Christ. There's a dividing issue here. And we may think of that as a sweet little baby, but what he's really doing is threatening most of the world. He's threatening. He's exposing people for who they are. He said that would occur. Their hearts will be revealed. And he finally said to Mary that a sword's going to pierce her soul. You know, and I believe her soul was pierced on several occasions. You know, when Jesus said, who's, well, when people asked him, who's my brother and, you know, my mother and brother, he said, those who do the will of God. Mary heard that. That probably kind of dug into her heart a little bit. Even as a child, when he, when he was found in the temple courts after being lost for three days, according to the parents, he says, didn't you know I ought to be about doing my father's business? Kind of dug something in there. Ultimately, up on the cross, dying before her, Mary's soul was really pierced with that sword. Absolutely. And when he came back to life, I think she got the message at that point. Probably remembered that scene right there. Okay. What I'm trying to say is that there's something very powerful here occurring that we gloss over. And our culture 
refuses to see. Kind of to tie in that, I have another video for us. I like to play that at this time. You know, to help us understand the process that God is taking us through here, we need to kind of venture a couple of chapters more into Luke. So 
from the scene of this uh, blessing from Simeon, we need to look at Jesus as an adult here to kind of put, put something on that we can land on. Let's turn to Luke chapter 5. I don't want us to leave here without some practicals, and we start getting them as we see the very things that Simon, Simeon, was able to see. Let's start in verse 4. When he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they had caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up to shore and left everything and followed him. Peter's confession is important for us. We need to be like Peter in looking at the scene of Jesus Christ, whether he's a baby or a grown-up, we need to be like Peter. He saw, like Simon, Simeon, he saw himself in relationship to God. And he saw how sinful he was. He was humble. And I think that opened up his heart to what came next. And everyone in this audience needs to open up our hearts in a humble way and see what Jesus is saying to us. And if you look at the response of the men at this scene, you get to get the picture of what we're supposed to do as well. Jesus did tell them to follow him. And they left everything, and they took on the purpose of catching men. You know, he did say, don't be afraid. And to me, that points to the very threat that exists when you look at Jesus Christ. He's threatening. He's not a baby in a manger that's sweet and cuddly. He's a threat. When I became a Christian, what Jesus did was threaten my materialism. The words, leave everything. Wasn't kidding. He meant it. And when we look at a a group this size, I can take a group this size anywhere in the United States and simply say, I'm sure there's people here who are coming to grips with materialism. In a group this size, there are bound to be people who are going bankrupt or have credits up so high that they feel despondent. That's us holding on to things we shouldn't be holding on to. And maybe we, we've made some decisions that weren't God's decision. I don't mean be going in an area that's touchy for you, but I had to do that. I had to give up my materialism. I had to let go of what I considered important at that point, a house, car you know those aren't important and we would be better off without them in some cases uh, when he said follow him men i'm going to address this to you because i really believe you could hang almost every single cultural sin that we have on men 
I hate, you know, women, you're equal sinners, but I'm addressing the men right now. Men, we follow other men, don't we? And women will hear this really loud and clear. Men don't follow babies, and they don't follow women. They follow men. You know, Jesus is not soft and dovey. He's not. You know, um, Tom Skinner was an itinerant preacher back in the 60s. He grew up in Harlem. And he said this. If the Jesus that most of you believe in came into my neighborhood, he would be beat up in five minutes. When I look at men that I think are courageous, I, I think of the movie Braveheart. When William, there's one scene there that just grabs my heart. William Wallace is looking at the Baron Robert Bruce. And he just came out of a meeting and all the barons were just arguing over everything. And he looked at Robert and William Wallace said, and this is Mel Gibson, of course. He goes, if you would just lead your people, I would follow a man like that. Ah, oh, that gripped my heart. I want to follow a man like that. And my Lord, my Lord is not an eight-pound baby. He's not that. He's a man that has dirt under his fingernails and he has hair on his chest. Yes. And I'm not going to be attracted to anything less than that. And I'm going to follow a man that calls me to the ends of the earth. You can still hear me, can't you? <laughs> I can get excited here. Sorry. Okay. I will follow a man to the ends of the earth who calls me to that. And I want the men in this congregation to quit compromising on your families in the call to follow Jesus Christ. I, I think of things like you know, leading my family in prayer every day. I don't know if you're doing that. You know you should. I'm telling you right now, marriages that pray, what the spouse is praying every day, are secure. You know, they say that the average marriage is unhappy. In fact, the, the, the stats are 75% of all marriages in the United States are unhappy. 50% of all marriages in the United States are going to end in divorce. If you're a good church attender, if you attend every single day, every meeting of the body... The stats say you have a 25% chance of uh, divorce. Okay, so it's going down with each, each uh, stat here. If you pray with your wife every day and go to church, you're 99.9% secure. Only 1.01% divorce rate when people do that. Okay, so men, do you get the idea that God is trying to say, hey, pray with your family, pray with your kids, pray with your your wife, and don't miss a day doing it. And then if you go through things like, uh, like um, activities, you have God in the middle of them. Um, the third point here that, that, that these guys did in Luke 5 is that they were given the purpose of catching men. Don't be afraid. You will now catch men. Um, that has to be in there. I know... I know that uh, we get busy with life. I know that as the kids get into the teen years, we get busy. But every activity has to have that purpose in it. When Jeremy became a teenager, yeah, we, we, gave, we, we got real busy. He wanted sports. And I wanted him to have sports. I played sports. I want him to play sports. Not because I think that he's going to be an Olympic star or that he'd be a professional soccer player. He's not going to 
he wasn't that good. But he loved it. It was good character development. And we sat down before he started his soccer season or his football season, and we said to him, the reason why you're in that team is that it's a fishing hole for, for catching men. They may be 13 years old, but you're going to catch them. And we're going to try to catch their parents. So we would go to football games with a, a adobo. Some of you know what adobo is. We would go to football games, and we would, we would open up an ice chest full of drinks and adobo, and they let us do this. I don't know. You know, I know they had their concessions, but we were having a buffet lunch or dinner, and, and all the parents were gathering around us, and we were all rooting for our kids. And out of that, two families became Christians. You know, while he was in football, he was in football for one season. Um, and um, out of that, two families, you know, 28 other members became uh, disciples. 28 disciples were born out of that, those groups there. So what am I saying? We're all in this together for that purpose. And we told our son to count the cost because if there was a conflict between church and, and football, church will always win. Know that ahead of time and talk to coach about that. And we did that. I never missed a game. I went to every single game my son had, and he was in soccer. He was in track as well. I, I went to everything, and he never had a conflict between midweek or Sunday service. Never had. And if they had Sunday games, which they now do, I hear tell, he probably wouldn't have been on the team, but who knows? Who knows? We, there's ways to work it out. But you have that purpose of catching men, and you don't need to be afraid because Jesus Christ is going to get you through it. And what I, why am I saying all this for us? It's because I want you men especially to leave everything, follow Jesus, and catch men. And I want you to lead your family out of the holidays in a strong fashion. To wrap things up, let's go back to those baby pictures. I want you to see who they were. You know that one, it looked like a girl, didn't it? It was Winston Churchill. I wouldn't, he caused the rise of England, I think. Now, it's not as good as getting people to heaven, but he helped 60 million people get through World War II, okay? And I want you to see that it wasn't just a baby in a dress that we're looking at here. We're looking at the freedom of, you know, England is what we're looking at in that picture. I, I hate it to be in a dress. I would not dress my son in that thing like that. <laughs> that baby in a dress was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He got us through World War II as well. Okay, it's not just a baby. Because that baby grew up in an environment that hated Jews, that man executed six million of them. Because that baby grew up in an environment where he wanted to rule the world for his own good, 60 million people died because of him. Talk about the rise and fall. Guys, we as disciples cause the rise and fall of people too. This is my grandson. He's going to become a disciple. And he's going to lead people to Jesus Christ. Am I Simeon? No, I'm not. 
But I pray for that every single day. And I really believe God's going to have that happen. His parents love the Lord. They're active members in the San Diego church. And I want him to know who Jesus is. And if uh, I'm around long enough, he'll hear it from me. Guys, I want us to know that we, are, we families and singles as well, your family too, are to lead people spiritually. And it's not a baby in a manger. It's a Lord who created us that got us through these holidays and who we proclaim now. Go forth this year. Go strongly into the rest of the year. Win souls for the Lord. Have fun doing it. I love you. God bless you.